27 of the Four Star Spurs podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week is Tommy. What's up? And Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. Well, I think we have to start this uh, conversation with uh, the Champions League. And we went into this match. We had had a dismal uh, cup performance uh, the the week prior and um, a, a poor result against Wolves. And Champions League was seeming like, well, this is our last chance at a trophy, albeit a long shot chance. Um, but it, I think a lot of us were thinking, let's at least go a little bit deeper into this competition. Um, and I expected it to, to be a real at- attacking style of play. Um, we play better when we're down a goal and we're starting, we were starting the match essentially down a goal. Um, so I've, I really thought this would be, uh, a nice performance one way or another. And that wasn't quite what we got. So let's, let's take it from there as a starting point. Uh, who wants to tackle first, uh, Tommy? Yeah. Um, I was hoping we'd go balls out as a club. We eventually did when Poro came on. Um, unfortunately, it was a little too late. But overall, I mean, we looked like absolute dog shit. There was no motivation. There was no drive, no passion, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was god-awful. Um, it didn't help. Or overall, you know, like, it didn't help. Romero got an early yellow card with a with uh, second yellow, which you know, of course, turned into a red where he tackled Theo Hernandez on the sideline. I'm like, both of those yellows were unnecessary, careless, and it was just straight up stupid. Uh, We know that he has a lot of talent, but he hasn't reined it in fully. It's very hot and cold in his performances in the past uh, one and three quarters years, I guess. And, um, Unfortunately, that's a story of Spurs' seasons. Like I've said it many times, which what Spurs team will show up? Um, like I said, once Pearl came on, you know, everybody finally livened up ever so slightly. And then once Romero got the red card, they finally put an overdrive. They're like, oh, my God, we have to try now. We fi- They finally go for it. Um, Harry Kane had probably the best chance of the game for a goal. But it was like 93rd minute. It, I think everybody and their mother knew that that was probably the last chance of the game. I'm just, I'm not pleased. Um, Anthony and Lucas, both of you were at the bar. Um, anybody that's listening to saw me the bar, I was yelling and I was irate. Uh, and for anybody that did see the game, it was justifiably, um, I was justifiably mad. I would like to thank, uh, you walked out of the bar, didn't you? What? Lucas, you walked out of the bar uh, yeah. at the end of the match, I mean. Yeah, there was a point where I just hit a wall, and um, I knew I knew it was about to happen, so I just I couldn't, I couldn't watch it right. I just couldn't see it anymore. But I, I think for me, the frustration really started as soon as, like, as, soon as the lineup came out. I was I, – I, I basically – because we all said it at halftime when we were hanging out outside during the halftime – was just that first half went exactly as we all expected it to. And if we can sit there and tell you exactly what that half first half was going to look like, 
you have to assume if we were a bunch of schmoes outside a pub. You have to assume that guys that are getting paid a lot of money, the coaching staff of AC Milan has to have had the same kind of thoughts. And they had to know what to expect as well. It's it, all week during training. It wasn't like we had multiple different, multiple different attacking options or, or even different uh, formations or rotating guys in and out. Like there wasn't a lot of things that Milan probably had to prepare for. They had to assume that it was going to be that exact lineup, that exact style, that exact formation, and it's exactly what it was. And it, it, it just looked – we just looked slow. We looked like we didn't have many ideas, and Milan was able to just sit back, and they looked so comfortable. I don't think they broke a sweat in the first half. We didn't even we, – we didn't have anything that we were pressuring or – creating in that first half that Milan wasn't ready for. They could just sit back in their shape and be comfortable. And it wasn't until we made changes later on that all of a sudden it looked like we were like, I mean, Poro was huge, like a huge addition. But as soon as that came on, all of a sudden we looked like we were, he was pumping up the crowd, trying to get people into it. Like it just, as soon as that lineup came out, I knew that that first half was exactly what we were going to get stale. It's it's predictable. It's stale, as you say. The teams see exactly what we're doing, and they prepare for it. And and as long as those teams are halfway decent, they they can hand they can handle us pretty pretty well. It doesn't matter who they are, whether they're Wolves or they're uh, or they're AC Milan, who's kind of having an off year. Um, we know we know that they were. The, the top last year, but they they're certainly not that this year. And they were definitely they were a team that we could could compete with. I mean, it wasn't like this was a team that we couldn't compete with. And I guess we got the draw, so um, we did hold them there. But that's that's what all they needed to do. They didn't need to score, so uh, we needed to score, and we didn't look like we wanted to score. Tommy. Yeah, that's kind of the thing with AC Milan. Like, yeah, they've been lackluster this season, but on paper, we can beat anybody if we're up for it. I, or at least that's how I feel like. Um, and like, yeah, the draw, like, fucking the outside of it's a standalone game. Yeah, draw, no big deal. But it's like, I, I've said it many times again in the past, where like this team, mentally, they are not ready or they are mentally deficient when it comes to games that matter they got a uh what is it like the their mental midget so to speak i'm like you know coming out of the tunnel this team should have been ready to go i i don't i mean somebody give me an excuse whether it be uh anthony or lucas or anybody that's listening i'm like if they if this was when poro pedro poro came on for the whole match where it was all-out effort and everything. A, if we drew or we lost, I wouldn't have been as mad. But the way things were going after Pedro Poro came on, we were at least looking like we were about to stiff a goal. Um, unfortunately, it was too late. Uh, but it's just... You guys think about Conti's like, affect on the, the field during this, this match. Let's not talk about uh, the... The, the forest match yet, but like just how, how he seemed his behavior on the pitch 
and the substitutions that he chose to make. Did he look like he was uh, committed to this match? Or was he just trying to to not give up a lot of goals, especially after the uh, red card? And we had two choices. We could just go for it. Um, and who gives a shit if we lose 3-0 or 4-0? Uh, but, like, try and get that goal at that point. Um, or we could just hold it as is and let ourselves drift out, but uh, but save his face for not giving up too many goals in a match. Uh, um what do you guys think we're going on here with the subs and, and his game plan? Go ahead, Lucas. Well, I, I think he's a professional, so it'd be it'd be I don't want to speculate and think that oh there was more than more going on behind the scenes or stuff like that. I think he just he came at it from a very pragmatic approach, which is I think his goal was to not it wasn't as if we were down three coming into this game. So it was only one goal. All we had to do was get one. And that would force at least extra time, their penalties. So it's it wasn't as if we had this massive mountain to overcome. So I think his approach was to just treat it like you would any other game. And like that's what we've done all year is waste the entire first half. And usually we go into half or usually we hit a point where we're down a goal or two. but And then we have like this surge of energy, it seems like, in the second half. And so that's you kind of it, it seemed like that's what his approach was to treat it like any other game, sit in our shape defensively and then just kind of putz around the midfield or get overrun in the midfield and then have like a few opportunities that present itself. And hopefully we can stick one of them in the back of the net. So it wasn't as it. And unfortunately for us as the fans, like what we wanted to see was that that energy and that that drive and that passion that we saw as soon as Poro came on in the second half, we had that burst where we were just pounding on the door for 20 minutes. We were hoping to see that from jump street, but we didn't. I think, I don't think Conti wanted to panic. I think Conti wanted us to sit and treat it like we'd done every other game. And then hopefully we would wear them down and get our goals later on, which typically has worked to this point. So I, I think that was his thought. It just, it was unfortunate for us because we as fans have that anxiety already going into the game, being down one, and we're especially after I think the the, the uh, we've strung a couple of the poor performances together in a row before that. So we were hoping that there would be some kind of like kick in the ass and look a lot. We we hope we were probably hoping that we would see us come out and look really aggressive and motivated from the beginning because of how poor we had looked up to that point. But I think Conti's approach was. Let's not make a bigger deal of this than it is. Let's not treat it like it's not any other game, and we'll grind our way out and get it done. But unfortunately, we ran out of time. That's a dare is to do, though, when, when all no. such done. <laughs> so, yeah, it's certainly not what the fans want to see. Um, I, I get the pr- pragmatic approach, and uh, I'm sure it wins you a lot of trophies with better teams than, than we, we seem to have right now, but it, it just... It, it's, it seemed at this point just like uh, almost intentional. Like uh, we, We've seen Chelsea teams that come out and attack, I mean, uh, that were under Conte. I mean, it's it's not like uh, everybody has to be this negative. Um, oh, uh, Lucas, you, you want to jump in there before Tommy? Yeah, quick, because you just mentioned Chelsea. That's something that I think added a little bit of – I think that added to the frustration of us as the supporters was that the day before – 
Chelsea had played against Dortmund, and they went into that second leg at home in London against a Dortmund team that had won 1-0. So they came into that being down a goal, and Chelsea took control of the game, and they went after Dortmund for 90 minutes and were able to get a 2-0 victory and advance. So we were able to see how the right way, like how Chelsea was able to do it one day before, and then they came out and they looked like they were hungry to get those goals, and then we came out and we sat there for 45 minutes. And that was, I think, something that added to the frustration is that we were like, well, how come they down the road can do it and against a really good Dortmund team? And we came out against Milan, who was not as good as Dortmund. And we had just beaten the shit out of Chelsea a week or two earlier. So we're thinking, like, clearly we have the capability to get this done. And we didn't. I also think Conti has the ability to get that done, like, to come out strong. Uh, uh, we, we've been st- stepping all over Tommy, so let's let Tommy in here. Yeah, so I get the pragmatism. I get why Conti's the way he did. Um, because it's like, you know, keep your defensive shape, shape, build from the back. That's what Conti's always done. I mean, I, I think it's pretty evident now that he got it all wrong. Because, you know, like for me, I'd, re- I'd have more respect for a team if they went guns a-blazing if Conte put out that extra attacker. And then we went for it, but I mean, it is what it is. But that I, I I alluded to it, I guess, early on. Even Conte, he didn't make the right call. Where the fuck was this team before the sixty some minute? You know, if say if everything went to plan or not to plan, but if everything ran its course, where Romero got the red card but we were going all out for those first 60-some minutes on, or 70 minutes until that red card happened, probably could have gotten a goal. And if we got, in, if, if we got a red card, but it was, we got a goal, okay, we're down a person, but it's still even or still square right now. Where, so we could have figured out another ish, or thing. So I'm like, yeah, Conte is to blame, but I'm like, still, I'm like, the team still, I don't think they gave it their all. So I'm like, I'm placing more blame on them because of that. that but that's just me. But, I mean, to, don't get me wrong. I do understand that, again, Kati got it wrong, so he didn't put his best foot forward to set us up to get the goal. But it's it's just a big mess all around. Late subs, and then Sanchez coming on after uh, after Ramiro went off. Uh, to me, we're both just unforgivable when we're seeking a goal, especially that late in the game. Uh, go ahead, Lucas. No, I, I think Tommy has a really interesting point there because we can you can blame the manager as much as you want. And to an extent, it is the manager's job to make sure the players are up for the games and try and put them in the best possible position to succeed. But if you're a professional footballer, you shouldn't need a manager to... You shouldn't need a manager to get you up and excited and passionate about a second leg knockout stage Champions League game at home in front of your own fans. That should be something like I used the I referenced earlier when Porto came on and he was trying to get his hands and pumping up the crowd and trying to get people into it. How come we how come we didn't see that until 60 minutes? How is none of the other players looking like that energy and that passion for the first 60 minutes? That's not on Conti. That's on these players. And I, I mean, like I said, it's 
you're playing in a Champions League game, knockout stage, down a goal, second leg, at home. Like, you should be just, you should be chomping at the bit when you're walking out of the tunnel to get involved in that game. It's just, I, I don't get, we see it time and time again with this group that there's clearly, I don't know, I don't know if leadership is the right word, but there's there's a lacking of some kind of X factor there that this group of players doesn't seem to have. I, I said it before, Lucas. I said it again. I told you many times. I told Anthony. I told Peter because I know you're listening. I told this team's a bunch of losers. Um, not in life because they're living the dream, but they don't know how to win. Um, and we still have the core from the Pochettino era where it's like, yeah, we racked up a lot of points. We looked good playing the way we played. But anytime we had an opportunity to either A, take advantage of some team's misfortune of losing earlier in the day um, or we're in a cup final, we don't take advantage. We don't look up for it. So, you know, Conte's a winner, and he can only do so much as a manager. If he, if he was on the field, yeah, maybe a different story, but I'm like, I'm blaming Harry Kane for everything, but I'm like, he's our captain right now, and he's not a winner. Let's be realistic, because he hasn't won dick in his life. So, but how? But tell me, how many times have we seen players leave our squad who are underperforming players go to another team and lift the trophy? And I. A lot of times they are meaningful contributors to those trophies too. I think of the Trippiers of the world. I think yeah. That, um, but, uh, but you have to remind yourself this though. Kyle Walker goes to Man City. He's got Guardiola. He's got a great supporting cast. Luka Modric, when he left for Real Madrid, you know, huge supporting or great cast. You know, Benzema, Ronaldo. It's you know Sergio Ramos. Yeah. Same thing with. Uh, Bale. You know, I think, yeah, Bale, another bit, one of our other bigger signings. Erickson, um, my trophies. Uh, no, Berbatov. You know, it's like he, everything was already in place. He had Wayne Rooney around him. He had Ferguson. He had, uh, what, Skulls, Gary Neville, et cetera. So maybe the players aren't good enough uh, for the county system anyway. I, well, I th- that's another, but, but that's I, another I, argument, though. I don't, I don't think we can just blame it. The, this group of players is t- terrible, like mentally weak, uh, because well, th- these pl- players, when they do leave, they seem to do fine uh, when it comes to winning trophies and, yeah, well, and having that, that tough, no, but, toughness in a big game. No, but that goes into my point of the supporting cast. You know, so let's go with Bale and Modric for Real Madrid. You know, they got Benzema, they had Iker Casillas, Sergio Ramos, Marcelo, etc. You know, they had a great supporting cast. So, like, for argument's sake, save Gareth Bale and Luka Modric was weak. Those players can rally around Bale, bring up his mentality, bring up their conf- Bale's and Modric's confidence. That purse or Bale and Modric don't have to shoulder it all alone either. So, and then, you know, eventually once they get over that hump, then, like, okay, they're, like, probably mentally strong because, like, they know what they need to get through or they know what they need to do to get past that roadblock and actually power through. 
How about tr- the Trippier example, though? Was was he on like a team of giants uh, when he won a trophy? Um, I mean, he had a lot of great, really good players for Atletico Madrid, whether it be Oblak, uh, Koke, uh, I don't know who else were Atletico Madrid. But... At Real Madrid at the, in the era of like uh, Bale and Modric leaving is what I'm saying. But I understand your point. It's a fair point. Go ahead, Lucas. We've been uh, filibustering you. Well, there's just there's another thing that like you have to take into account, and that's the fact that a lot of these players are now going to different leagues where it's a lot easier to win trophies. It's easier to win. It's very difficult to win trophies in England, especially when you play for a team like Spurs, who over the past like decade has done a really poor job prioritizing their domestic cups. So it's if, if we're gonna just because Pochettino would famously have always said he would every year he would be like. He would come out and say, like, I don't care about the FA Cup and League Cup. That's not going to help us. And so when you've already been off those two cups, now you're saying we either win the league or we win Champions League, and, like, that's the only way you're going to win a trophy. Now it's like you can go to some of these other teams and you can go win, like, the French Domestic Cup or the Spanish, like, what is it, Copa del Rey or whatever. Like, those are easier to win than the FA Cup when you're not prioritizing it. So that is a thing that has hurt us in terms of the trophy case. But – I think a lot of the things is, yeah, it, 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 but I, as much as I say that there is, there's clearly something to it, but because it's not just one or two guys. I mean, you can think of like, there's been 10 examples in the last five years alone of guys leaving and immediately going to win like Jansen's winning a trophy or like you, you get these guys that leave and all of a sudden, like it, at some point you do have to look at the bigger pattern. Cause it is, it's, it's not as if these guys are winning trophies like 10 years down the line. It seems like every one of them leaves and then immediately bashes in a trophy for their next club. It's like we're just – we're like that movie with Dane Cook where like all the women want to sleep with them because then they get married right after they – which one am I thinking of time for this one? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, uh, oh, good luck, Chuck. It was a stupid-ass Oh, movie. yeah. Yeah, good luck, Chuck. Yep. Yeah. Like everyone's like, oh, come to Spurs because as soon as you leave, you'll go win a trophy. Like – that's that should be our selling point. Like you won't win anything here, but as soon as you as soon as you take off with your career and go elsewhere, first place you go, you'll get a trophy. Yeah, it, it does kind of feel that way sometimes. Uh, 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 Tommy, kind of wrap wrap this up, and I want to have a quick conversation about the press presser after after sure. this. Yeah, I, I'm kind of poking in the barrel of it, but I'm kind of giving this food for thought. But like, you know, with the team's mentality, I'm like, yeah, we have Hugo Lloris, but. Look at the other uh, veterans of the team, the longer serving servants of the club, whether it be Kane, Dyer, et cetera. You know, Hugo Lloris can only do so much, but he's a goalkeeper. Outfield, that's kind of a different story. So I'm like, I I kind of told some people at the bar, but I wouldn't be like, is it possible that Harry Kane's bringing down the team because he doesn't know how to win? Um, And say if he goes like Man United or any team and wins a trophy in the next year or two, the argument can be made is that he's surrounded by so many winners and he doesn't have the clout or the influence compared to other players because he's not as long serving. He might have the respect, but he doesn't have the command. So just a thought. Yeah, well, I, I, it's not a thought I like. I, I like to think that Harry Kane could win something because he's been such so magnificent for us. Yeah, but Unfortunately, I, just, I don't. I would hedge my bet like, that it wouldn't it wouldn't be here. Yeah, let's be well, realistic. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about the presser afterwards because this really ruffled a lot of people's uh, feathers a little bit. 
Um, so uh, Conte had some um, interesting things to say. He certainly thought that AC Milan is such a fantastic team in comparison to us. It was almost like he was kind of uh, talking down about our players. Not that it's he's wrong, but it's it's not something that you want your coach to to come out and and say. And it really kind of felt like in this press conference that he he has one foot out the door as we speak, or he's just was seeking the sack at that point. Um, well, we all know he made it through the weekend, and it, we're probably going to see a lot more of Conte for the rest of the season, I would imagine. But um, how do you guys feel about this presser? Lucas? Yeah, I I think it's 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 become. I think this was pretty obvious that it's it's not going to be. Um, or that this at the end of this season that'll be the last we see of Conte. I, I think that was, and I think it's a shame. Um, but I, I I agree with you. It, it felt really weird. The one thing I would say though, and remind people, is to not to not have to not take too much stock into what he says at the end of a game because he's really really emotional right after games and he says a lot of stuff that we can dig into and we can try and we we can like like look in on a certain couple of phrases or we we, we tend to like dissect what he says but he's really emotional last year when we played uh we beat city at home and it was like after the game he had come out and said that this was the greatest group of players that he's ever worked with and then four days later we lost away to burnley and he was saying like everyone on this team needs to get sacked and like this the these teams a bunch of shit bags and so it's he seems to just be really really emotional when he talks whether it be good or bad so i would say just take what he says with a grain of salt because he has a term to get carried away sometimes but i think because of the fact that this is on the back of him spending a couple weeks away from the club and he's in italy and there's every day there's new rumors about how he doesn't want to be there and the dysfunction of everything i think that all kind of piled on um to us for us emotionally as fans so I, I think it does really seem like he doesn't want to be there because if if he wanted to be there for the future, how how would he be letting all of this type of stuff? All it would take for him to squash all of this is to just come out and make a statement of intent. Even if he were to just come out in a press conference and say, I really want to be here for like the foreseeable future, that would immediately squash all of the negativity and nonsense that's coming around with this topic. And he doesn't do that. So... I, I'm I'm not an agent. I can't tell you like the ins and outs of what's going on with them in terms of contract talks. But it doesn't. All we want to know as fans is, are you committed to us or not? Like, and if you're not, please leave because we're just wasting time. But like, if you are committed to being a part of our future, then all you got to do is even even like if you don't get like the deal signed right away, come out and just let us know that that's what your intent is, and that would squash so much of this chaos going around go ahead Tommy yeah I, I think he still wants to be here unfortunately there's just a bunch of issues that he has to deal with whether you know family living out in Italy his daughter's about to start university soon um you know two of his friends dying him not being in good health uh you know you could be the most the mentally strongest person out there but that will still take a toll on you um if Antonio Conte didn't want to be here, he would just tank everything. He would 
play Danjima, he'd play Tanganga, and so forth, and just be like, fuck this. I think that would be the way to do it. Um, and just leave them all out there, out to dry, and I don't think Conte fans should not t- put in any subs, but um, I, I think there's a lot of, I, I don't want to use, I don't like to use this, but like Italian bravado, where he's, he's re- you can tell he's very stubborn. He wants to make this work because, let's be realistic, he hasn't failed anywhere he's been. And, you know, of course, it would be very Spursy, so to speak, that it, this would be the place that he won to win a trophy. So I think he still wants to make it work. It's just, it's kind of like with Pochettino back in the day where it's like, it took him, what, two, three years of turnover to the squad where we actually got to second place or, you know, where we looked really good. So with Conte, it's, I think it's very similar to the same thing where he's just frustrated with the squad. You know, he said later that like, you know, he feels bad for Danjima cause he's not, cause he didn't, he essentially said he didn't want him here. Um, and he yeah. like, trains until like 8 PM at night. It just came out in an article today. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's like, he you have to feel two hours after everybody. Yeah. It's just like, so it's just, so because of this, or like he essentially, he threw Charles under the bus late last week too. I mean, again, we'll talk about Notting Forest because he looked great, but it's, it's just not a, for Antonio Conte. That's the other, like, yeah, he's got his right-hand man prodigy with him, but Kind of like with Josie Marino, Mourinho, he's never had a, neither of them had to deal with a so-called wheeler and dealer, penny pincher, whatever you want to call it, with, with uh, Daniel Levy. You know, because if this was any other club that signed him, or if we had somebody that would be, you know, not willing to part with these players, it'd be a different story by now, you know? So, it's... I mean, unfortunately, Antonio Conte should have—he probably should have known what came with the territory. But yeah, Lucas, what do you got? Quick response, Lucas, and then give us your MVP for this match. Yeah, real quick. The thing is, I know we're all really frustrated because the football doesn't look great right now, and Conte's been been getting a lot of this blame. But it's—it's one of the problems that we have as Spurs fans is. We're so desperate for things to turn around, and we, we, we forget the fact that he's only had three windows, one of which was a January, or two of which were January windows, which we typically never get real business done in anyway. So he's only had one summer. Like, this is like, if we're going to have success with him, it's going to take time. Klopp didn't just pop into Liverpool and start bashing in trophies. It took him like three or four years before they were able to get something done. And that that's... The same way with Ferguson when he got to United. He was almost sacked. Like, it's, it takes time. Look at Arsenal. Like, Arteta got three, what, three whole years to build his team and then implement his system and his way of doing things. So, and now they're seeing the fruits of their labor. So, it, we're really frustrated, but at the same time, it's like, it's, and Conti wanted that stressed. He said that this week. He came out and said, it's going to take time. This isn't, our expectations are really, really high. 
but we're not being patient as fans. And that's where we're getting a lot of the negativity and frustration that's being voiced in on in and around the fan base. But it, it takes time to build a system and implement your way of doing things and getting your players in. And a lot of these players aren't guys that he brought in. So it's, I really hope we're able to see him stay and build his system the way he wants it done, because we know that it's proven that he wins everywhere he goes when he has time to build his team. So I, that's my last thought on it is that I just, I hope we give him the time that he needs and I hope he's willing to stay and be a part of that. But uh, diving into the MVP LVP conversation, I'll say my MVP was Poro. Um, I thought at the very least his passion and his effort was something that we didn't see from any of the other guys out there. So when he got interjected into the game, it just, or when he got injected into the game, it was, we just saw this like breath or uh, breath of fresh air and this burst of life come out of our team. So he would be my MVP for that alone. Yeah. No, I had the same thing. Uh, Tommy, uh, uh, who do you have for MVP? Yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to, I already had poor list as well. It's just the thing that angers me about, well, partially angers me is that, you know, you really shouldn't give it to a sub because a sub hasn't played the full game. But I'm like, yeah, everything turned around. You know, he's mowing everybody. And, like, he was all out effort, so hats off to him. But, and that angers me, how I said before about it. Whereas it's team not being up for it, then, like, oh, he finally comes on. And everybody's like, okay, let's let's join this brigade and actually give more effort. So, yeah. Uh, okay, L- I'll start LVP. I'm just going to say Romero is the obvious one. Uh, two dumb yellow cards, the red card ruined our chances of uh, playing it out. Maybe the content game plan would have worked in uh, those last 10 minutes. We we could have turned the heat up and uh, uh, put a goal in the back of the net last minute. Um, it was still possible with the way that we were playing until Romero made that second stupid yellow. So for me, he's my LVP. Um, Lucas, who do you have? Yeah, I'm with you. There's no other person that you can give it to other than him. But, um, I, I mean, the the big word that you said was stupid. I mean, those yellows were both just completely unnecessary. And a big shout, too, though, uh, Langley had a yellow as well, like four minutes after Romero's first one. So two of our three center backs had yellows within 21 minutes. And that's such a crippling way to do it because – I mean, you can't have, like, your two of your three center backs with yellow cards 20 minutes into the game. Like, come on. we got to be better. And it was just it, – it just allows for the opposition to basically dictate the way they want to play the game when we have – we hampered ourselves. So, I would say Romero, but we had uh, – there was a couple guys that defensively kind of – we crippled ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, Tommy? Yeah, it's a clean sweep with Romero, um, where, you know, they're just dumb, careless. I I think we all know his potential. He's just, there's no string of consistency yet. Hopefully it will come soon for, you know, because he's got, he is here for, or he's got a contract for, what, four or five years. So, hopefully it will happen. I mean, aside from him, I mean, like, everybody else was pretty much shit besides Poro. Like, I, I. I yelled at the TV, but, like, the one thing that struck me the mo- or that just annoyed me the most was, like, Son, again, not great looking down, trying to do too much. I get why he's trying to do too much, but, like, there's one time he won the – he stole the ball, 
you know, going attacking, and then he just looks at Emerson Royale, just staring him like a deer in headlights. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? It was like a good three seconds, too. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's just, you know, it's just, for me, I mean, yeah, Nottingham Forest is a different story, but let's do the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Let's roll into the Nottingham Forest match. So, um, we had kind of a back and forth between Conte and, um, oh, geez, why am I, my brain's farting on me. Um, but, um, Oh, yeah, we had like a bit of a, a back and forth between uh, uh, Conti and uh, um, fuck. <laughs> I never heard of him. <laughs> Richarlison? Uh, yeah, Richarlison. Right. Uh, I don't know why my brain just seized up on me there, but yeah. Uh, so we had the back and forth with, with Conti and Richarlison, um, and we... I was kind of surprised to see him in the lineup. Um, I, I was glad to see him in the lineup, but um, I was kind of surprised after the 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 exchange that they had um, uh, pre-match, and and then it, it really looked like um, he had finally got gotten over his yips and gotten his first uh, Premier League goal uh, pretty early on, but that wasn't quite how it played out. Uh, go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, so I mean, I think the fact that Richarlison started, it, it could be a variety of factors. Maybe he lit a fire up his ass. He's like, well, I threw you under the bus, but I'm going to let you start and see what you can do. Can you take it? Can you uh, run with the ball, so to speak? But the other thing is, Dayon Kulishevsky, yeah, I love him, but he has been god awful since February. Like, let's be real. He's been god awful. So, you know, son. While he should be benched, he's kind of like in, similar to Harry Kane where he doesn't get subbed out often. So unfor- so because of that, Dayon's a casualty, um, which I'm not too mad about. But, you know, with that goal that never happened or that got called back, that VR was – I'm like, I don't even know what was offside. Was it like a knuckle or what? It was, it was freaking ridiculous. And, like, the angle for the VAR – it was on an angle, and like you couldn't tell based on the line. Essentially, he looked even. So, and unfortunately, and you know, the refs aren't going to tell us where what is offside or where it's offside. It's not like watching Six Nations, you know. So, but yeah, overall, I'm very pleased with Charleston how he played. Uh, Dion didn't do too great when he came on. I don't even know why he came on to begin with, but that's a whole other argument. So I'm hoping against Southampton on Saturday that Richarlison does start again. Let's see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, but generally speaking, overall with the game, I, ha- I can't say I have too many complaints, though. We all, as a whole, the team did play very well. They look cohesive. Um but with the way Nottingham Forest plays, you know, they play a little more open. So Spurs as a team, they usually play better to those types of opposition. So there you go. Lucas, what do you have? Did you give your hand up? Yeah, like, so I, I think right off the bat, I think I was pumped to see Richarlison get in there. Um, at least from no other standpoint than it looked like it sends a message that there's clearly nothing lingering between Richarlison and Conti with that exchange that they had it clearly showed that they've buried the hatchet and they're going to move forward because 
there usually you but you you could you, I was kind of thinking maybe there'd be like some kind of petty like oh he's not going to play him or he's going to refuse to use him or teach him a lesson or something so the fact that he started was great to see right away because it meant that we're going to move forward and we're going to there's no hard feelings so to speak so I was I was excited to see that and then I was excited to see how he played um Tommy had talked about Kulichevsky and he's someone that I forgot to mention when we were talking about Milan but he was useless in that game so Kulichevsky's been really really poor as of late and so I don't know if he's carrying a knock or if it's something else being uh something else that's going on with him but it's it's I think he definitely needed the rest um so I was good it was really nice to see Richarlison looking hungry though too so he I mean he had that one that got VAR'd offside but then he also had the run into the box where Kane played him that won us our penalty so that was great uh by him on both counts but I think the thing with and then he played uh Richardson had the assist on uh, Sun's goal later on in the game too, so he had a great game. Um, but yeah, that that offside call by VAR was—I I mean, that's that's one of the things that you're just—I we don't know the rules anymore, and uh, we we talk about it all the time. It's just—it's so frustrating because yeah, the the red and blue lines were on top of each other, and then the little line that they show drawing down is coming from his hand which I didn't think was considered offsides anyway, if it, if it wasn't like a part of the body you could score with. So us, us as fans, we don't know what's going on anymore. And it's kind of sucked all the fun out of it because when we score, we don't know if we can even celebrate anymore. And I, I just think, and another thing that I consistently bitch about on this podcast is how these VAR decisions take three or four minutes. So we had the momentum four or five minutes into the game thinking that we scored and all of a sudden there's a four minute break and the goal gets taken away. And now there's this massive momentum boost for, for Forrest. But I was really pumped to see that we didn't let that bog us down. And that we were able to keep coming and attacking and looking hungry in that first half, because I think there was a stat we've scored like 40, I think it was like 42 of the 49 goals we've scored have been in the second half. So we've done a really poor job this season, getting ahead of these teams in the first half. And this is a Forest team that we just saw played. They just got a point at home against Man City in which Man City got ahead early. And then Man City wasn't able to find that second goal. They wasted countless opportunities and they let Forest hang around. And when you do that in the Premier League, it's going to bite you. And Forest showed that they were capable of that. And so that's what I was really pumped to see by us is that when we got that first goal, we didn't sit back. We got aggressive again and we kept coming at them and we were able to basically put that game to bed by halftime. Yeah, I, I, I lots of positives in this game. I mean, um, Kane's goal, uh, even after the Richarlison one was rolled off with the offside, um, like Kane, Kane's goal came pretty fast. And uh, if I remember right, that was on a Pedro Porro assist. Uh, so we got to see him be a contributor there. And then Son, like uh, we we keep saying, he, uh, when he starts scoring goals maybe that he will come out of this uh rut that he's been in all season and and i guess we can hope again that maybe this one is another example it, it definitely seemed to work better for son having richarlson up there with kane it seems like um the, the 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 space options were better and maybe some of that's due to um ben davis more than uh than uh the, the, than the other forward players but um but lots of positives to come out of this one. Go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on you mentioned the uh, assist by Poro to Kane. I thought Poro in this game was unbelievable. Um, it was so nice to see, and I don't want to cut the back off of Royale too much here, but 
Um, Royale's given us effort and he's given us, uh, he's worked his ass off. So I, I do give him props for that, but he's not a proper wingback and he's consistently going inside the channels, uh, running down the channels inside of Kulachevsky or whoever's playing out on that wing. And it's nice to see Poro actually playing the proper role and getting outside of our winger to let Kulachevsky or whoever's playing that role have that space on the inside which is what you want to see. And, but on that assist that he played to Kane, it was so perfect. He, it was a deliberate ball. It wasn't as if what we've seen most from our wingbacks the past year or two have been in those situations, just kind of blindly whip it in. And it's, it's going to a space, not a person. Royale, or uh, excuse me, Poro looked up. He just, he got the ball, took one, took his head up, looked, see, saw where Kane was, and then deliberately put it on his head. That's, Really, really, really good to see because the only people that we've seen do anything like that have been him in that moment. Kane knows how to do it. And uh, what's his face? Perisic. But Perisic hasn't been playing well. So, But those are the only people that we see deliberately put a cross into somebody's head like that. Kulachevsky as well. He knows how to do it. But like, when he's was, on Kulachevsky, Kane. Yeah, his deliberate ball. And it was such a nice ball to Harry. And it's again, he had a couple guys on him. And that shows that. If you have a good quality pass and a good quality player like Kane, you can make those things work like that. And it was really nice to see. No, definitely. Uh, uh, Tommy, do you have anything to add before we go to MVP here? No, I can definitely agree with that. Um, what Lucas said about Poro, just because, you know, how he's with AC Milan, you know, he lit up essentially like, you know, positivity is contagious, whether he personal life, business sense, whatever. So I, Again, no slight on Emerson Royale, but the fact that we're out of Europe, we only have to deal with one game a week, generally speaking. We have to play Pedro Poro until he's injured. I And I don't want to run him to the ground, so to speak, but we have to play him every game. And he has to start because if he's up for it, and you can tell he is because, hey, he's a new sign, he wants to make a great impression. Um, everybody else is feeding off him, rubbing off of him. So let's roll with this momentum. Um, I still believe that it's highly doubtful that we'll get fourth place, but if the, if the way things are going with Poro doing well and everybody is being high energy, we have to stick with it. I think at least for the time being. So hopefully that's the case and let's see how Southampton and the rest of the other games go. And I I think to your point, Tommy, we, we can't take too much away from this. This is Forest. They do not play well on the uh, uh, on the road. Um, they they I think what this one goal was only the fourth goal that they've scored on the road all season. Um, so yeah, and this is, this was never a, a likely uh, defeat for us probably, but. Um, but I, I do think we have a favorable schedule, and we are back to one a week, which we know Conte is decent at, and and assuming his head's back in it, and he certainly looked like he was he was in it for this game. He certainly had the emotion back. We saw we saw some of that affect that I was talking about in the first half that wasn't there back in this one. Um, maybe he can carry us uh, to a similar uh, finish like he did last year with the, with some of the. Um, of you know favorable matches that we have coming up and 
you know, if we do win, uh, like, what do we have? Eleven left? Uh, uh, ten left? Uh, ten like left. If, yeah. If we. Oh no, get, no, it's eleven. Yeah. If we win nine of those eleven, that would be a, a probably fourth place easy. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I mean, realistically, I mean, if we don't win against Man United, it's not a big thing. But if we can beat Newcastle and run the table with the rest of the teams. That'd be great. But, I mean, how you know it with Antonio Conte, yeah, he looked live. He looked energetic on the sideline, which is great. So, I mean, how I said, you know, with that fiery Italian passion, so to speak, I mean, when things are going well, you're probably going to feed off of that, too. So, I mean, realistically, people might be saying Conte out, but for argument's sake, knock on wood, say if we did get fourth. Um, Conte could say during these negotiations, if Maybe Levy wants him to stay now. And Conte's like, I want to stay, but I have some conditions. You need to let me turn over this squad. I need, like, say if we need to get rid of, like, eight players, I need to bring ten in. You know, I like, if Harry Kane's not going to sign, we got to sell him. We got to buy another top quality striker. We got to get rid of Dyer. Um, you know, we, we already have to replace Longley um, and Dandrum because they're going to be on loan, but... You know, a bunch of other players. So, and, you know, and the other argument he can say is like, you know what, I'd, I'd carry this, or I'm a firm believer that with this team, if it was anybody else, this team probably be in eighth place right now. I, I wouldn't be shocked. And with Conte's like, you know what, we had to pretty much script, or we were struggling to get fourth place, barely survive that. You can see what I can do with my managerial skills. What do you? Well, my and then he can be like, imagine what we could do if I turn over the squad and had better players. Of course, that's dependent on if what all, everything I said is true, but and if all these uh, hypotheticals fall into place, but we'll find out at the end of the season, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, let's go to MVP, and we'll start with Lucas. Um, yeah, I'm going to say my MVP was Richarlson. I thought it showed a lot of character coming in after, like, the the shit that went and come in and put that all aside and come out guns blazing like he did. And, like I said, I really wish that goal had been chalked off for him because that would have been a really great debut goal in the Premier League for him. But uh, I thought he played really well. Like I said, he had that goal that was, take, took, uh, that was taken away, and then he had the run into the box that got us the penalty for our second goal, and then he had the assist on the third goal. So he was really active all over. I thought he did a really good job. So he's my MVP. Yeah, and I agree with you, like, uh, for all the reasons that you just said. I don't need to add anything else. Uh, do you have anybody different, Tommy? I don't disagree with Charleston, um, but I'm going to still say Poro. I think he was probably the most valuable player. Like, don't get me wrong. Mentally, probably not feeling so great after – getting browbeaten like that by um by Conte and you can kind of tell that mentally like yeah he can pick himself up and show him his show Conte which also showed Conte his worth so I will give him that but I still think Poro is probably the most valuable in terms of last Saturday's match and, that, and that's a that's a fair fair point Poro definitely uh I think has to be on everybody's short list of MVP for sure. Um, uh, let's go to back to Lucas and say uh, LVP. Um, 
It's a tough one because I don't think anybody played poorly and deserves to be get a shout for LVP. But um, I'll just say I'll go with Kulicheski because when he came on, he didn't look good and he looked slow and and then they had the handball for the the, uh, the penalty that was awarded to Forrest at the end of the game there. So I'll give him the shout. But again, I don't think anybody really played poorly. Yeah, and that that's fair. We didn't mention the 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 handball, but uh, Fraser Forrester, how about the save? I mean, that that uh, he de- certainly deserves credit for for that. His his giant in his giant hands. Well, and unfortunately, I think he's unfortunately for us. I think he had seven signings this summer. Unfortunately, we could say that he's probably been our best signing from the summer. Which and he was for free too. Free backup signing and that's not who you want hope i wish we could say that our 70 million dollar striker we brought in was banging in goals but it's a process but yeah i think forrester great shout there too i think richarlson would be fine once he gets regular minutes uh, um i i i think there's been there's a real problem with not playing him in his best position which uh is tough to to work out but um but this seemed to work uh well at least against a team like forrest um, and we'll see how it does when we start playing the big boys again. But um, if, if he plays in that position or whether we need Kulishevsky back. Um, uh, yeah, he would be my LVP as well. Did you have anybody different, Tom? Tommy? No, no, it's the same thing. Um, I think it's a lot of fear for Dayon. Uh, I think if it was like one, if it was 2-1, that would have been a more solid case um, if the penalty went in. It would have been tied 2-2. But... Um, I mean, regardless, when when Dayon came on, it just he didn't look great. Um, again, love the guy, but hopefully he is benched again in favor of Charleston on Saturday. Um, but overall, as both of you said, there is no real deserving LVP, so to speak. I think everybody played great. You guys mentioned Forrester, Romero. He picked it up. He did well. Uh, I usually sit on Eric Dyer. I thought he played very well too. Um, anybody that was a starter, I think every like this was. I'm not saying this was the perfect game, but aside from Chelsea, what was it? Brighton. Th- this game should be up there in terms of the one of the more complete games that the team has had. Okay. Well. Um... I think that's probably a good place to wrap up this half. Uh, Second half, I'm going to try my best to remember Richarlson's name when we preview the uh, uh, Southampton match. Uh, But but first, we are going to go to Luke's Locks. Luke's Locks! All right, welcome back. We have only three of them this week for Luke's Locks because it's an FA Cup weekend, so there's a lot of games postponed. But first up this week, we are going to be taking over two and a half goals in our beloved Tottenham Hotspur, playing away at Southampton. Southampton, as we know, has James Ward-Prowse, who loves nothing more than to either score or be involved in a goal when he plays Spurs. So we can bank on that happening. But I expect us, with the full week of training and how Conte's been with that, to come out and get the result. So we should have enough to get a few goals and collect all three points despite giving up a goal. So take over two and a half goals in Spurs away at Southampton. Next one is going to be Chelsea minus a half goal at home against Everton. Uh, Chelsea strung a few good results in a row together, and we'll be looking to keep that momentum going into the international break. 
Everton sits in that relegation logjam down at the bottom and will be looking for any way to get a point, because of which I think we'll see a defensive side and they will lack aggression, which will likely be their undoing against a hungry Chelsea side. Take Chelsea minus the half goal at home to Everton. Last one this week is one that I hate to give out, but it's free money sitting on the table waiting to be collected. So that will be taking Arsenal minus a half goal at home to Crystal Palace. Arsenal are flying high at the moment and showing no signs of slowing down. Uh, They have been lights out this year at home, and Palace are a much weaker side when they're playing on the road. So unfortunately, this one probably goes Arsenal's way. Take Arsenal minus the half goal at home to Palace. There you have it. There's your free locks of the week. Let's go get rich, kids. Thanks, as always, Lucas. Um, I think you're probably uh, pretty dead on with those predictions. Uh, uh, that, that does seem like easy money this week. Uh, and uh, it kind of rolls us into the conversation that we're going to have. Just a few minutes to talk about this upcoming league uh, match against Southampton. So we got the, the week's rest, the week of training that you talked about. Um, um, our next two fixtures are against teams that also are fighting relegation. So I, I guess there is that. That sometimes can make these teams a, a lot tougher this time of year than um, than it would be at other times. Um, but clear, currently Southampton is sitting in 20th place. So uh, they are down at the bottom right now. Uh, that's 21 points, uh, six wins, three draws, 16 losses. Um, as you said, their top goal scorer right now is James Ward-Prowse. Uh, Jay Adams has four. Like so, Prowse has six. Adams has four. Uh, he's also Adams is also the their top assist guy, and Ward-Prowse is their top-rated player. Um, we did beat them four-one earlier this year, so uh, uh, that was kind of our first strong performance where I thought we we all kind of got into the mode where we felt like that we were going to push on and really have some uh, mighty performances uh, off the back of Conte's uh, end of the season last year uh, that never quite materialized with the World Cup in there. But um, uh, maybe this could be another opportunity for us to uh, put up some big numbers and kick on. Uh, how are you guys feeling about this uh, this Southampton match? Uh, go ahead, Lucas. Well, it's a tough one because, like I said, there's – when you know it's like Ward Prowse is probably going to be a, and he's going to get a goal. We know that's going to happen. It's just our luck, and that's how they they play. But Southampton hasn't been, even though they're in 20th place on the table. This is a team that's been in a pretty good run of form as of late. In their last four games, they beat Chelsea, and then they had a tough one uh, one nil loss uh, to Leeds, and then they beat Leicester, and then they just got a nil nil draw away at Old Trafford. So this is a team that, despite being in 20th on the table they're really fighting to try and get out of that relegation spot and so that's a team that just because they're 20th in the league um it doesn't mean they're just going to roll over for us i think one thing that is advantageous for us is that i know i think they play on wednesday in the league against brentford so they'll have a game on wednesday and then saturday so we'll have the extra rest and preparation for them which i think will be in our favor Yeah, yeah, that should be pretty helpful for us. Uh, Tommy, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with uh, the assessment of James Ward-Prowse because I, even earlier this season, when we eventually slaughtered them, he did score. Uh, Army kind of wouldn't mind wouldn't mind if uh, we actually signed him just so he wouldn't have to score against us. 
but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, relegation battle team, they're going to be up for it. They're playing at uh, St. Mary's as well. So they're going to have the crowd behind them. On paper, we do look, we are clearly the better team. Um, my only wish for this squad, and yes, it does help that they do play midweek against Brentford. Brentford, yeah, they're a little higher up, but for Southampton, every point counts, whether it be a win or a draw. So if they can get three points there and somehow scrape a point with us, I think that would be gravy for them, but whatever. Um, my, but my only wish right now is if we can keep Richarlison starting, Poro starting, let's see how that goes. We do have a full week in preparation, and then we're going to go into the uh, international break. So let's burn these players out if we need to, um, and then let them sort themselves out for international break, so to speak. I want a you know full attacking lineup, and then you know let's just see how it goes. I again, I would I be surprised if we start off the first half slow. In historic Spurs, well, in recent Spurs fashion, no. But again, um, I mean, we'll do predictions later, of course. But I fully expect to win, regardless of the fact that we're playing at St. Mary's and their relegation battle. Because, I mean, we're only down to one competition right now. It's down to a weekend. Hopefully history repeats itself with Conte, where we look a lot better because of that. Because... I mean, I've said before, we don't have the depth, but right now we really don't need it. I think what has me most concerned is just simple a road fixture. Um, I like the fact that we have a full week's rest. I think that's really favors us. Um, but uh, we've just looked like such dog shit on the road at times uh, this, this season. And e- even when we play okay on the road, like we're, we're and I say okay because I don't think we ever shine that much on the can anybody think of a road match this year where we looked like uh like stellar um uh, uh, well i don't think we've looked stellar this whole season to begin with i mean but you, for you any individual to, game you could probably point to like chelsea and maybe men <laughs> as uh, games that we uh looked very good but those were uh, both home matches yeah uh, so I, that's the only thing that maybe concerns me a little bit about this. Like if 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 we just don't, um, you know, if we do sit on the sit through the first half and play our normal game plan, um, that maybe we just can't scrape it out in the second half. That that would concern me, uh, Lucas. Yeah, I think the last time I could point to that we looked dominant on the road was uh, away at Palace. We won like 4-0 away at Palace, and that was at the beginning of January. So it's been a while since we've been able to string together a nice set of road performances. But um, I think the thing, like you you'd mentioned, this is a team that's their relegation battle, so you know they're going to be up for it. You know that they're going to be playing with passion and in front of their fans. Um, but at the same time, there's a reason that they're 20th. They didn't just stumble into being in last place in the table. That's as this is a team that we have the firepower. We should be able to put this team to bed. It's just a matter of, are we going to do it? Um, I think a big thing, like you could talk when we played Bournemouth, we Bournemouth is a team that's at the bottom of the table. They suck. But when we played them, we let them have a two nil lead. And then we needed like a miracle in the second half to have that three goal comeback and get all three points. 
this is a team that if we let them get one or two goals up or let them hang around, this team's not going to fold the way that Bournemouth did. This team's going to, they're going to sink back into their shape and they're going to keep us out. So I think really what is a little bit, I think will work into our favor is that because they're relegation zone, they have to come at us and play. They can't just be, I don't think they'll set up defensively, especially not at home. So I think it'll be an open game, which will work out, which usually tends to work out in our favor when teams try and play us in an open game. Um, so I think that'll be in our favor. But at the same time, like I mentioned, this is a team that has some players that can hurt you. So I think it's going to be really up to us to put this team to bed. In the Premier League, you have to be able to get one nil up and then bury the game. So I hope we don't see us sit back, get a goal, sit back, and kind of call the dogs off. It'll be really interesting to see if we're able to do what we did this past weekend, and that's put a team away early. What do you guys think the lineup will be for this uh, for this match? Uh, it, it definitely Poro, Poro over Emerson, uh, Ben Davis again as wingback, uh, Tommy? Yeah, I already said my piece on it, but I'm like, based on what we saw against Downing Force, I don't see any reason to change. Um, Ben Davis, you know, he's looked good as a wingback, but he's not fast. But I'm like, you know, you got Longley, who's at least serviceable, but you got Eric Dyer and um, Romero in the back. So that's fine. And then my only wish, is, or aside from the lineup, though, is let's get, or I said about the attacking lineup, is let's get the attacking lineup out because this can lead to early goals. If we can get the early goals, um, and we're up 3-0, it's like, yeah, if we give up a goal late, no big deal. And it's not the end of the world. So let's see how uh, maybe we can actually turn up for the first half for a change, kind of like the Mounting Forest as opposed to um, second halves like we did in uh, in the past, uh, earlier in the season. Yeah, uh, I, I certainly hope so. I, I don't always have faith in that, but Lucas? Yeah, I think that's the big thing is showing up in that first half. Unfortunately, like we saw in like the FA Cup game where we got knocked out to Sheffield and then right after that with Wolves, those were games where we kind of looked like we were in control for the majority of the game, but we weren't able to find the goals to put this team away. And when you do that, it seems like we hit this weird window around like the 60th, 65th minute where all of a sudden we start to lose control in the midfield. They start kind of overrunning us having more possession and then are able to bang one in at the end. And that's what unfortunately happened to us in back-to-back performances. So I think with, like Tommy had mentioned, like showing up in the first half, I I really hope we don't let it get to one of those scenarios where it's coming to the 65th, 70th minute and we're struggling for ideas as to how we're going to get our goal. I really hope we come out flying the way we've done or that we did against Forrest and come out and actually get this, put a, put a goal or two in early and, take control of the game that way instead of letting a team like Southampton hang around because they have everything to play for. So if we let them hang around, they're going to find a way to hurt us. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, how about we go to MVP and we'll start with Tom, uh, MVP. Let, let, let's go to predictions and we'll start with Tommy. All right. Um, I'm actually going to predict what I predicted last week against Nottingham Forest, uh, my different goal scorers. So I'm going to predict 3-1 because as Lucas noted, uh, Ward Prowse will probably score, um, but I'm going to choose Kane, Son, and Richarlson. Um, Son's been looking a little bit better. Richarlson, hopefully he can maintain his, or at least keep rolling with his momentum. Kane, I mean, 
I would, I mean, let's be realistic. Kane's been our best player this whole season. So at least we know, we know he's the model for consistency. Okay. Uh, Lucas. Yeah. I'm going to actually say three, one, two. I'm going to go, uh, Kane. I'm going to say Kane, uh, Richarlison and Poro. I think Richarlison and Poro both get their debut Premier League goals for us. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, I'm like on a similar vein as you guys, but I was going to say two, one, um, I think that we get our two goals early, and then when the Ward Prowse one comes uh, late, like it's uh, it's too late to really have an impact. Um, um, I'm going to give uh, Gold to Kane because he's good for one, and I do think Richarlison gets uh, uh, gets on the board here. I I, I think he's uh, he's fired up now. He seems to be playing well. I think he's going to certainly start. Um, and I, I hope to see him uh, start to show what he can do. I mean, he is the 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 Brazil top top man for the Brazil, a very good international team, and we know he can score goals. Um, Lucas, yeah, just last thought I think was because um, we all predicted that we've we've said Ward Prowse's name a handful of times, and we're all predicting him to have some kind of impact. A really important way that we can try and minimize that is we have to be really smart and disciplined around our, you know, like our defensive third. Um, we can't be giving away dumb free kicks because they're, that's that's probably the way that they're going to try and or that they're going to be able to find a way in is through some kind of set piece scenario involving Ward uh, Ward Prowse from a set piece. So if we can be disciplined and keep them away from having threatening set pieces around the box then I think they're going to really struggle to try and or to be able to break us down because that's the main way that they're able to score. And us knowing that ahead of time is works to our advantage, and I hope that we can just be disciplined and sound defensively and minimize any impact that he can have through those set pieces in the final third. And we could win our own set pieces, which we're yeah. very good. At least at the start of the season, we were very good at, and hopefully uh, we'll return to that at some point. Maybe down the the, the the down the stretch here. Um, final thoughts uh, before we wrap up the episode, uh, uh, Tommy. Yeah, um, I mean, with the way things have been going, I was like, oh god, I cannot wait for the international break. But I'm just hoping for this. Let's go out on a high into international break because I feel like a lot of times we just stumble into the international break. So. Let's do this. Let's clear our heads or win, clear our heads during the international break. And then, you know, two weeks later, come back ready to go. It would be definitely be good for the fan base to, to go into the international break with uh, coming off of a, uh, two consecutive victories. I, I think that would put us in a much better place as we wait for Premier League football to come back. Uh, Lucas, any final thoughts to add? Nope. Just like I said, try and keep try and do your best to stay positive and ignore all of the craziness that's going around in the media about us. Let's just hope that we can keep our momentum going and keep moving in the right direction and things will sort themselves out. Well, uh, I'm Anthony and you can find me on Twitter at Callahan42, K-A-L-I-H-A-N 42. Uh, Tommy, where can they find you? You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Lily White Coys. Uh, Lucas, where can they find you? Yep, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Lucas Rusky, one word, L-U-C-A-S-R-U-S-K-E. Um, 
always willing to talk Spurs with anyone. So shoot me an old shoot me an old message. That about wraps it up. So thank you to Tommy for editing today, Charlie Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill. Uh, find us on our many platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on iTunes if you like our podcast, or give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Stars First, and our website at 4 Come on, you first.